Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. In today's episode of Project Recovery... I think that people approach us for the same reason they approach you, Casey. They they know that you know what mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. right? And so... Judgment-free. Right, judgment-free. They know that we've been there. And so um, it's not gonna, there's not going to be judgment. We're not going to tell them what to do. We're just there to help. Make sure you listen to the end. Find us on Facebook at Project Recovery. We'll have that and much more coming up. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. But more importantly, it's about recovery. And it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. They're a wealth of knowledge right there. All you have to do is go to www knowyourscript.org. And Dr. Matt, to be honest with you, I don't even think you need to put www in. I haven't heard anybody say that in like five years. But it used to be the thing. It was. You, always, you don't need to anymore. If though. you knew www was coming, whatever was going to follow was going to be awesome. It was. Yeah. Now it's just regular. Yeah. But knowyourscript.org is awesome. Go check it out. They've got all kinds of information on how to deal with the opioid epidemic, how to talk to yourself, how to talk to your doctor, how to talk to loved ones. And so I know somebody who, who went on their website because of listening to the show. Get out. No, I'm serious. And she was saying that she and her parents, I mean, she's an adult and her uh, older parents, they had a conversation about what opiates were because the parents who were taking opiates didn't even really know that their medicine was in that category. So it was really helpful for them to understand that it was a risk. I mean, that they needed to be careful about how they took the medicine. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think there is an education on a uh, generational basis. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. That, that, you know, the young kids, like if, if you say bars, kids automatically know that you're talking about Xanax because that's the street drug for right, it. Right, right. But, you know, but the, somebody, at, you know, in their 40s going, these kids keep talking about bars. I don't even know what that means. Right. Uh, but if they would have said Check their cell phone yeah checking their cell phones or whatever it was but it's a xanax and so i think they're and i've said it from day one what the recovery community needs what everybody needs in general is a better education of what's going on and that's what this podcast was designed to do is to open up conversation hear people's stories find similarities in addiction and, and try to get people help definitely and we appreciate uh their help yeah knowyourscript.org yep without them we wouldn't be here exactly uh, now, so we're just coming off my three-year celebration of right. sobriety. Exactly. And I can't tell you how overwhelmed 
I was with love and support from the Facebook, from the Instagram, to all the comments. And everywhere I went, it, it, it just felt so good to know that people are rooting for me and cheering me on and uh, championing me. And, and, and I'll never be able to say thank you enough. Uh, I'm going to go down. I read all the comments, but I want to respond to them. It might be a heart, might be an emoji. Uh, every once in a while, I'll throw the praying hands in there. You know what I mean? Thumbs I wanna, up. I want to mix it up, you know? Right. I don't think thumbs up. No? No, I don't think a thumbs up works for... Wasn't... Yeah, I don't think it's sincere enough. enough because I really am grateful for yeah. the outpouring of love that I felt. Yeah. Uh, so I got sober on a Friday. That was my three-year anniversary. Cool. One of my oldest friends was having a surprise birthday on Saturday mm. at a bar. At a bar. And so you want to see funny looks? Walk into a bar after your three-year sobriety. Rolling <laughs> I mean, in. It was, it was like the record scratch. Everybody, mm-hmm. hey. And I ruined the surprise. Oh, how'd you, why, what happened? Because I didn't mean to ruin the surprise. I was running a little bit late, okay? Okay. And they had the party set up in the back room where all his friends were kind of hiding to yell, a, surprise! Yeah. You know, and I walk in. And he's sitting at a table, and I was like, well, maybe not a lot of people showed up. It's a holiday weekend. And so I just gave him a big <laughs> hug. And he looks back to me, and he goes, why are you in a bar? He goes, there's something going on. And I go, no, no, nothing's going on. And, and I like the water here. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the water at the Angry Goat. Yeah. And so uh, then he goes in, and it's a surprise, and it's a birthday. Uh, well, that's fun. And it was cool. And I, and I was talking to a lot of people, a lot of people congratulating me on my sobriety. And I found myself talking to this couple, John and Jackie. It's a little mm. ditty about John and Jackie. Close. Two American kids growing up in the heartland. Thanks, John Cougar. Yeah, but so anyways, we're talking back and forth, and I noticed something. Everybody was giving me accolades, saying, congratulations, this is an amazing feat. And it's a big I, accomplishment. But I felt really uncomfortable. How come? Because I, I, I don't like the attention when I'm not asking for it. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Right. If you're, if you're being a goof, then the attention's fun because you're, you're trying to get it. I'm controlling it. Right. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm in charge. And when people are giving it to me, I don't know what to say thanks. I don't know what to hug. I, I, you know what I mean? I, I, I just, I'm not good at it. Okay. But we're going back and forth, and it was very good. And John goes to Jackie. Hey, Jackie, tell Casey what you said the other night. And I was like, oh, gosh, here it goes. And she says, what did I say? He goes, you know that thing you said? And she goes, oh, she goes, I used to say Casey was a fun a-hole. <laughs> now I say Casey's just fun. Oh. <laughs> and I took that as the biggest compliment. That's great, yeah. And she didn't say a-hole. She didn't. No, she said the word. The but word. we're on KSL Radio, right. so I'm, I'm, I'm... We'll imagine. Yeah, I'm editing it. And I really did take it as the biggest compliment because I know in my act of addiction, I had the ability to cut and hurt people and make them a part of the joke without their permission. Well, and rumor has it you've ruined a few parties I've ruined in those days. <laughs> a lot of parties. Yeah. And I've ruined weddings. Yeah. And I've ruined special events for people. And it got me thinking. But that's such a cool thing. That's a simple adjustment that means a whole lot. Just in just that description of you dropping the a-hole, just hey, he's he's fun. Yeah. But that represents so much more than just dropping one word. But that's I like that. And so it got me thinking. And uh, um, because a lot of times when I was at a party, it was fun for the majority of the party. But there were certain people that it wasn't fun for. 
And it was because I was insecure. I was making them the butt of the joke, right? Yep. And I was not a very nice person. And it's been so good over these past three years to have these authentic relationships, to have these authentic conversations with people and get to know them. Because although I would talk to people, what I was doing was mining you for material. (laughs) And that sounds horrible to say. You just try to find some material to 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 pull out later. To either either make you laugh, to bring us together, you know what I mean? Or whatever it was, I wasn't really there because I was always thinking of the punchline. I was always reaching for a joke. I was always trying to – it wasn't authentic. That's what I'm saying is that because I was really just mining you for material to try to figure out how to make you laugh, what makes you tick, and then go back to my bag of tricks and go, okay, if I substitute this here, I put this here, I can do this, I can use this joke. I can use this and then I can come back in 10 minutes later and hit him again and, and, and do all this stuff. And it was I, it was it seems a little exhausting. It is not being I mean, that's true, right? When you're not just comfortable being yourself, then you're either withdrawing and that's not your style or a person is, you know, playing a role. And and in order to play that role, it can be very exhausting trying to keep up, you know, uh, the, the persona. So it got me thinking about what really kept me in my active addiction for all those years. And I think I've boiled it down to a couple key components. And the first one might surprise you, and it might not. Insecurity. Mm, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I know you well enough to know that. Insecure. Yeah. And I knew if I was doing this, we didn't have to have an authentic conversation. I didn't want to have an authentic conversation with you just in case we didn't think the same and then you didn't like me. Does right. that make sense? Absolutely. Humor is a great shield. People who have that gift of comedy and humor, they can use it as a shield to kind of protect themselves. And and you've, I, I mean, you, you, so I became you've a, got that gift. So, so yeah. I became a chameleon. Yeah. Whatever you needed, whatever you wanted, I could morph into that and I can make you laugh and I could do this. And if your thought process was this way, I'm jumping on board and we're going to go down and we're going to see where we can go with this and have some fun. So I was, although I was on TV, I was on billboards, I had my face on buses. Don't you think, don't you think people in that, in the media are even more likely to have that kind of public persona, right? You always try to protect your image. Yeah. All and so that. insecurities were a big part of it, even from when I was little, when I started drinking, because it gave me uh, it gave people something to talk about. And it gave me the courage to do things that I normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so the insecurities was a big part of it. But the bigger part of it, what kept me in my addiction was ego. Mm. Ego was a huge factor in my addiction. I couldn't admit that I was wrong. I couldn't admit that I didn't have this handled. I couldn't admit that I couldn't figure this out. Mm-hmm. I couldn't admit that you were right. I could, no, that's ego was a big one for me that kept me in my addiction. How long did it take for you to be able to, I mean, you're talking in the public now today about that, but like to accept that the ego was a stumbling block for you. Like, did that take a while? Happened this weekend. Just this weekend. Huh? Happened this weekend. Yeah, because that's a big one, especially for us guys. It's hard to really own your ego and the problems that it causes. And I'm not perfect. I'm not f- funny all the time. I'm lazy. I'm selfish. 
I mean, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't admit, and I would overpromise, underdeliver, ninety percent of the time, because I didn't want to tell you no. I wanted you to think that I could do everything. Yeah, and I can sit here and tell you that I can't do everything, and I couldn't get sober on my own, and uh, I needed help, and that's what this show is going to be about today: where to find help. My email, my Instagram, everything has been blowing up of people wanting help. I'm going to read you this text right here. And I just got this last night. I'm not going to use her name. I really need some help. How do I break away from this disease? I'm crippled. So I write back. First off, you're admitting it. So that's a huge step. Now we have to get you help. Have you looked into treatment centers or meetings? Do you have insurance? These are questions that most people are going to ask you when you're looking for help. Right. She goes, no, I financially can't leave my husband with all the responsibility. I have no insurance, four daughters that I need uh, to be in charge for. I'm killing myself and so full of regret and self-hate. I tried to quit drinking on Sunday because my oldest begging me to, but I can't. What kind of mom can't do something like that to take the pain away for their baby? I'm so lost. I work full time and they're very well cared for. It's just nights are a blur and I want to be done. My heart hurts. So I write back. Because you can't stop drinking on your own doesn't mean you don't love your kids and you're not a good mom. It's a crippling disease. We need to find your support group. Look into groups that are in your area and start reaching out. This is where it really gets me. I live in such a small community that I'm so embarrassed to admit this. I will never live it down. I am proud of you. Thank you for spending the time and taking and talking with me. I appreciate it. And then I write, trust me, you get yourself right. There's nothing to be embarrassed of. I believe in you. And this is where I started crying last night. Thank you. I've never heard that. I'm always the strong one, but I'm truly breaking right now. She writes, nobody has ever believed in me. Wow, man, that is a heartbreaker. And that's just one of many emails and texts that I get daily. Well, I know there are so many people out there that feel just that way. But th- to, to feel that nobody believes in them. And I don't know this lady. And you know what I mean? Right. And, but I know I believe in her because I did it. And I know recovery is possible. So to, to say I believe in you and have her go, wow, this means the world to me. I'm a complete stranger to her. Yeah. You know, and she but just that's needs- how important other people's support is in our lives. Yes. And and I I think with almost no one can really do recovery on their own. Uh, but I think almost everyone can do it with help. A hundred percent agree. And that's what I try to tell people. I mean, that's where my ego kept me because I thought I could do it. You guys don't know about Casey. I'm different. I'm not like you guys. I'm going to figure this out. Now, don't get me wrong. I know people who've got sober on their own. I know people who quit cold turkey and I know people who white knuckled it. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but but it's very far and few. It's very few. It's such a small percentage. And it it has such a poor prognosis. You might be able to do that for a short period of time. But if you want to have a sober life where you're living happily in recovery for the rest of your life, that's going to be tough to manage on your own. So that's what we're going to talk about today is where do you go for help in recovery? We've got Evan from USARA. He's going to be our guest coming up next. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do 
when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. My co-host is always the beautiful, the talented, the lovely. Wow. Dr. Matt Woolley, who's a clinical psychologist. So I could I could loan you money. We'll talk about it. No, after the show. you don't need to. I'm actually doing all right. <laughs> I know you. You got more jobs than I do now. Yeah, but uh, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about that because the one thing I'm doing in my recovery better than I used to do is saying no. I'm still overextending myself, but I'm trying to be better at it. And that's the toughest thing is to say no when you're a people pleaser. Oh, yeah. Well, you and I have that same problem. Mm -hmm. I I really do have a hard time with that. And I think a lot of people do. It's hard. You don't want to disappoint people. You you want to kind of, you know, fill the role that they want you to fill. And so it's a little bit easier to say yes and then try to figure it out. But after a while, I mean, you know. You can only do so much, right? But I think that plays into uh, the recovery world. I think a lot of addicts are people pleasers. and Yeah, well, you know, definitely. And so they, they don't want to make people mad. And all of a sudden they are caught up in an addiction and don't know how to get out of it. I also think people on the other side of that are also people pleasers. And they want to do what they can to keep their loved ones who are in addiction happy. They don't want to be the, the tough line. They don't want to tell them no and it's hard to give tough love when you're a people pleaser. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, but we're talking about where to find help. Where are resources available if you or a loved one is battling addiction? I talked in the earlier segment how I'm getting inundated with Facebook messages, texts, and all sorts of people reaching out for help. Now, we predicted this, well, you did, about a year and a half ago, that this is going to be a perfect storm for addiction. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see kind of uh that come to light people coming out of the like well we're not really out of covid i mean we're at covid 2.0 really yeah. right now but right. i mean but the, the unemployment has stopped house payments are beginning rent is due right uh, and, and all that and stuff a lot of people are underemployed or or unemployed they've been working at home so the five o'clock became two o'clock two o'clock became 12 o'clock next thing you know you've got uh, starting your day with a bloody mary yeah yeah and, a lot of people are and and, and it's and, it, and it's getting to people i received this text last night and it's simple. It said, okay, it's time. Next week. I keep thinking I don't need help, but I do. And I only trust you. So I write back, this is at 11 o'clock at night. And wow. I know this person. Okay. All right, brother. Let's do this. I'll call you in the morning. Be safe. I love you. And then he writes back, thank you. Love you, bro. It's time for sure. And I... I'm kind of figuring out how I can help him because I don't know what he's exactly wanting or needing. This was last night? Last night. Okay. And so, because I'm not a recovery center. I'm a guy who's in recovery who seemed to found his way. And I want to help people, but my help will only 
go as far as my Google powers and people I know. Well, and we've been fortunate on the show to have a lot of people come in uh, and talk about uh, various recovery centers, various programs. Interventionists. Interventionists, those kinds of things. And I think uh, you are uh, you know, a, a public figure for a long time that people feel like they know and trust. And you've been so open and honest about your recovery that that's why I predicted, you know, kind of towards the beginning of when we started this show, which was like, hey, that that's going to be something you're going to have to figure out how to handle. And I love it. And, and don't get me wrong. I do. But I want to give them the best advice and service possible. Right. And so you and I don't run recovery centers. Mm-mm. So we have to bring on some special guests to help us know how to advertise and get people aware of what is available because actually in the state of Utah, there are a lot of great resources and they aren't all break the bank sorts of resources. There are a lot of opportunities. If, if somebody's serious about getting sober and, and being in recovery, there are ways to do it for sure. And September is National Recovery Month, so we thought we'd bring in our friend Evan. He's been on the program before. Uh, you're with USARA. USARA yeah. stands for what? The Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. And uh, you guys are a great resource for family uh, uh, family members of addicts or addicts themselves. So yep. what is USARA's, I guess, mission statement? Yeah, so our mission is to connect and inspire communities to advocate for addiction recovery. And we really envision a Utah where recovery community and connection are seen as the most important assets for people to recover from addiction. So when I get texts like this, uh, you know, my go-to is usually... You know, I find out if they've got insurance yep. uh, and then I find out if there are any resources in their communities. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and then then I've even gone as far as, hey, go talk to your bishop or your local pastor and see what kind of help is out there. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I mean, that's the extent of what I can do, really. Sure. And you can always send them to our way. We're happy to help people find a pathway of recovery that's got meaning and purpose for them in their lives, help them find a treatment center that might work for them. Um, so we we operate um, recovery community centers across the state, and all of us are people in recovery ourselves or our family members of people in recovery. And so mm-hmm. we, we get it. We know what it's like. And we're able to offer that support at no cost. So we're entirely funded by grant money that helps us pay for our services. So people can walk in through our doors. We don't ask for insurance. We don't ask for any sort of payment. We're just there to help. Now, like the guy who texted me last night, I've been talking with him for probably close to three years now. Um, And I'm wondering if people are in active addiction and contemplating, because what do you call that? Pre-contemplation or contemplation? Yeah. Like the the stages of change? Yeah. In which I think a lot of addicts find themselves in that. They're not sure. They don't know if they want to take that leap of faith or that jump or or say the words out loud that they're an addict. So they just want to talk to somebody. Right. Can people who are still in active addiction give you guys a call? Absolutely. So it's I think it's perfectly natural that people in addiction have ambivalence about what to do, right? Because they don't know what, what options are available to them or what a life in recovery would even look like. And so a lot of people will encounter the, just the first barrier and that's the thing that keeps them out of recovery, right? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I, I know in my active addiction, uh, before my ex-wife left me, like I would Google 12 steps, but that was as far as I was going to go. You know what I mean? But I was yeah. at least Googling it. You know what I mean? And sometimes I think that was me manipulating the situation to show my ex-wife, hey, look, at least I'm looking into this. You know what I mean? Or stuff like that. But, but don't you think it's scary? Like if you're uh, let's let's assume, like a lot of people, uh, you you're in addiction, you're in that process, 
probably to kind of self-medicate or treat stress or other issues that are going on in your life. And so I think a lot of times people, they know that the alcohol or whatever is kind of ruining their lives, ruining their marriages, things like that. But then the thought when they, when they go to Google or they go to make a phone call, the thought is like, but how am I going to handle all the stuff in my life if I don't have a drink, if I don't have the weed, if I don't have the whatever? And I think there's an element of fear to change there, oh, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I would swear Especially to you. Especially if you don't know what's available. Like, how is it going to work? Yeah. I would swear to you three years ago, I, I, there's no way that I can live in a world where I can't have a drink. I, I There's no – just it, That it, was your come home after – I mean, I don't know if most people know. You get up at 4 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, drive into work, you do s- stuff in the studio, then you, you're all over town and you have to be on and do all that stuff. And then you're super stressed and tired. You come home, and that was how you unwound. Is yeah. Get a little distance from other people because you're with people all day and sit back and drink. Decompress a little that bit. That was you your know I mean? method, yeah. right? Yeah. That, and, and it worked until it didn't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if somebody – let's just walk somebody. So they sure. call up USARA. Yeah. Who are they going to talk to first? So their call will be answered by a peer recovery coach. So that's a person in recovery from addiction themselves that will help them figure out what the options look like for them. So that could be attending meetings in the community and we'll help them find a path that's got some some resonance for them. So mm-hmm. for some folks, that might be 12-step recovery. For some folks, it might be some a, a different path like um, smart recovery or recovery dharma, which is more of a Buddhist-inspired uh, path of recovery. Um, or it could be we offer um, a number of just all pathways to recovery meetings that are kind of neutral on any specific recovery path and then there's also like fitness based group like like fit to recover or um addict athlete and so we really help people get connected with community supports that are going to support them for the long term people can also meet with a peer recovery coach um one-on-one at our offices um for as as frequently as they would like as long as they would like so they could just come in and talk it out because right like think about casey's situation conflict at home Wife is upset. Casey's yep. feeling like, oh, I got to do something about it. But he can't really talk to his wife about it in in that sort of way. Like, exactly. Like, who do I go talk to? And I don't and, think I could go talk to my work because that's right. going to be and more trouble. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody worries about letting the boss find out. Right. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to come in and talk to somebody who has been there? Mm-hmm. and is educated on what the options really are. Yep. And so that's what you're saying for no cost. Yeah, people, people can, can come in. Yep. And so I I have had family members of two, uh, since you were on the show a year and a half, two years ago, something like that, um, I've had uh, two of my patients, family members, asking them to ask me where to go, and I sent them to you, Sarah, and yeah. I know for a fact that the initial feedback I heard from them was, not just positive, but like surprised. They were like, it was right. so easy. Yeah. And so I thank you for that because Absolutely. that's important to me to know that I can send people to places where they're well taken care of. Right. And I think that people approach us for the same reason they approach you, Casey, that they, they, they know that you know what mm-hmm. it's like. Yeah. Right. And so judgment free. Right. Judgment free. They know that we've been there. And so, um, it's not going to, there's not going to be judgment. We're not going to tell them what to do. Um, we're just, we're just there to help. 
Now, you say uh, you've got four uh, offices right now, a fifth one coming in Moab. Where are the other four offices? Yeah, so we've got Recovery Community Centers in Salt Lake, uh, St. George, Ogden, and Price, with the fifth one coming in Moab in November. So um, we have a statewide network of these recovery community centers so that people can find recovery support in the communities in which they live. Now, you were telling me something uh, off air uh, that if – Someone uh, finds themselves in a crisis moment in the hospital or an overdose. Uh, A lot of times the hospitals will call you and you guys will send over a coach within an hour. That's correct. So we have uh, some contracts with like the University of Utah and IHC hospitals so that if someone comes into their emergency department, either in uh, an overdose situation or because they're in acute detox, um, they'll ask that patient if they want to speak to someone in recovery. And if that person says yes, they'll call us and we'll be there within an hour to come talk to them and help them figure out what the next stage in their care is going to look like. Because I think what we were seeing for a long time was that people would show up in hospitals and ERs and it would be a revolving door, right? They'd get sure. treated and treated. And then then they'd just be right, coming back right back in, in in a few days or a few weeks. And that's frustrating to everybody, not just yeah. the person experiencing addiction, but the, the, all the people in the hospital too. Well, the clinicians get really, um, you know, because they do what what they do in the, in the emergency room. I right. mean, they're there to do their job. Exactly. And their job is not recovery. Right. And so they care and they treat the patient and then they see the patient bounce back and it's discouraging for everybody. Exactly. I was working out at the gym with this guy who's an ex-firefighter and he's an EMT guy. And we were talking about addiction and he told me as much as he didn't like it, he started to get resentment towards certain addicts because they would show up to their house week in, week out. Weekend. Oh, the firefighters would go to their house. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because called all somebody's the time. overdose, yeah, yeah. somebody's yep, yep, doing this. Yeah. And he goes, I, I just wanted to shake him and go, do you not see you're killing yourself? You need to get help. He right. goes, but our job was just to come in, make sure they were okay. And right. then we'd leave. And he goes, right. he goes, he goes, but we'd walk out and go, we'll be back here in a week. Yeah. Right. And maybe he won't be alive this time. And how sad is that? But that's not in our power. Well, we, I, we don't know what to do. I know that does happen to firefighters and EMT people for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the first responders. And, and so I, I think it's great that you guys are there. I mean, you guys are kind of like a Costco for recovery because you guys have everything in there, right? right? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if somebody came to you and they've got the right insurance or they've got the money, you guys have the connections and the hookups to most of the recovery, if not all recoveries in the state, right? Exactly, right? So we can get the people into a variety of different kinds of treatment centers depending upon their insurance coverage and means. And sometimes that means that we're signing people up for Medicaid in our office so they can get into one of the publicly funded treatment centers like First Step House or Odyssey House. Um, but the those are just as effective solutions to addiction well, as anywhere huge, else. Actually, yeah. because you're talking to somebody who hates paperwork, uh, right? <laughs> like, right? It just sort of drives me crazy, and and I'm not good at it. And so you're saying, and and government paperwork's the worst. Yeah. And what you're saying is, you guys can actually help people through that process. Exactly. Wow. Right. That's because true. I would think that that's probably the biggest barrier for. Um, addicts who don't have insurance yes exactly is, is that i mean i think that stops or them even, from even limited looking. insurance yeah I mean, that's right. that's a problem too right like yeah. so people will have i know that in psychiatry and mental health like we people say well i have insurance i have, I have blue cross or whatever and then they look at the details and they're like oh, i don't really have very much coverage yeah. and so unfortunately there are a lot of people who technically have insurance uh who are also in that same 
basically the same boat as people without insurance. They just, exactly. it's not covering what they need. And so uh, it's good to know because there are resources out there for people who, who uh, can't afford it out of pocket. Right. And another huge part of what we do is advocacy work to help change policies and systems that prevent people from entering recovery. So we we were deeply involved in getting the Medicaid expansion passed here in Utah so that more oh, people had access to that critical life-saving service. For those who don't know, let's because I mean, I, I don't know much about Medicaid. And uh, I mean, what does that mean? And so, I mean, so somebody who's out there listening right now doesn't have insurance. Yeah. Are most of them Eligible for a Medicaid? Um, it depends on your income level, but if you're not eligible for Medicaid, you're often eligible for a plan through the health insurance marketplace. And so um, there, there's a variety of different options out there depending upon your income and, and what's affordable to you. But for most people who are um, maybe experiencing homelessness but have like real no, no real income, Medicaid is a solid option. I want to go back a little bit to what you said about like the Odyssey House. Yeah. Um, which is a great program who's d- who have done amazing things for the community. Absolutely. Uh, and it's a solid program. But sometimes people don't think of it as a good program because it's so inexpensive. And But it's just as effective, do you believe? I absolutely do. And I think that those programs, I mean, they, they, they run lean financially, but that means that they have to really just focus on what's important, which is helping people build, build lives in recovery. And so they get right down to business in terms of getting people into the uh, therapeutic supports that they need. And um, they, it, it may not be fancy, but that's not, what, that's not necessarily what folks need to get sober, right? Yeah, let me, Matt, let me put it in the terms that you can use. You remember okay. when Rocky was fighting Ivan Drago? Yes, I do. And Ivan Drago was training at the state-of-the-art facility. He was punching things, telling him how much power, and all that cool stuff, right? Computers. Yes. I mean, he Support was, staff. All the bells and whistles. Everything. everything you need. Right. Even had a hot Russian blonde standing next to him telling him what to do. That's what you need. Do you? I don't think so. Because Rocky, Rocky yeah. went and trained in the mountains in right? snow, bench pressing logs. In and a cabin who, that didn't have any heat. Yes. Who won the fight? Rocky, of course. Odyssey is the Rocky of recovery. Oh, I love it. You know what I mean? You just wrote their next campaign, buddy. Let's find some stairs and run it up. But you also have connection with uh, you know the Cirque Lodge, the Pinnacles, right. the Wasatches, yeah. and all of those, and you can get people in there. Absolutely. The, the truth is, though, you're you're 100 percent right. And, and actually, and I, I I think sometimes the fanciness can be a distraction. Yeah, sure. And, and that's not to say a nice, comfortable place isn't. Uh, welcomed by all. However, uh, my experience in working uh, in a variety of different ways with specifically Odyssey House is they do get down to business. And so I think the difference is what's your attitude? If you feel like you need a posh place to get sober, maybe you're not really focused on what, I mean, are you just really going to do it or not? You know what I mean? You know, and and like I went to a beautiful home and it was amazing. And I'm sober today and I think it was great. Uh, You know, I think you need to find out what's going to work for you. But I think you said it best. The number one question is, do you want recovery? If you want recovery, then you will take the first thing that comes your way. Well, and there are options like that. And and I think you and I've talked a little bit, especially at the beginning of the show, 
you know, a couple of years ago, we would get a lot of like, well, uh, you know, I don't have money, so there's no place I can go kind of attitudes, which I felt were sort of defense mechanisms to stop themselves from getting into recovery. Because the truth is, and uh, you know what? I don't know what people think about our great state of Utah all the time, because I sometimes hear some negative, you know, reviews about Utah by people that live here. But it, when you leave Utah, you realize, oh, we have some amazing things going on in Utah. One of them is healthcare in general. Our healthcare system in Utah is amazing. Our mental healthcare system here in Utah is amazing. And our recovery is just as amazing. There are so many places to go and things to do. I have colleagues that uh, live in California, for example. We often think of California as a state with everything. But the truth is our mental health system here, I would not want to work in the mental health system in California. We have a mental health system here that's second to none, honestly. And there are recovery programs all over the board, different types. Uh, but if you want to get sober in Utah, you can do it. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Matt. If California is so great, why are they all moving here? That's exactly right. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, I love California, but honestly, I, I would not want to work in mental health there because for a lot of different reasons, it would be boring to talk about. But the reality is Utah is a place where people come for treatment. People who are out of state and come here comment on the differences in the health care that we have here. And that does include our recovery options. All right, before we end this podcast today, I want to talk to you, Evan, a little bit about the things that are going on for the rest of this month in USARA for being a September National Recovery Month. Right. Uh, we just had a big thing at the Galvin Center on Saturday. Yes. Uh, it was an amazing event where people came out and celebrated recovery and, and, and kind of just built that community because, Dr. Matt, the opposite of addiction is what? Connection. It's not abstinence. And that's what that's we right. need to do is build a community. And that's what USARA is all about. Exactly. But the party doesn't stop just in salt lake no no where are we going next so we have events all across the state for national recovery month so we um september 17th in ogden uh september 18th in vernal um september 18th in utah county in provo um the 24th of september in price the 25th in moab and the 30th in st george so events across the state and if you didn't catch what i just said you can go to recoveryday.org and find a list of all the events that are happening what kind of information what kind of party and what goes down down at these uh, celebrations. Yeah, so it's a well, just like you said, it's a celebration of recovery, right? And so we're building awareness that recovery is happening and it's happening in our communities across the state. It's not just a Salt Lake thing. It's statewide. And so at all these events, we really want people to see what resources are available to them locally. So we have um, a variety of different vendor booths that represent different kinds of recovery organizations that are uh, available in the local community, whether that's uh, mutual aid groups or treatment centers or any of the ancillary services for folks in recovery. Um, there are all represented at these events. Um, and then we also just, it's a fun atmosphere. So we've got live entertainment, uh, a kid's zone at most of the events, and um, a lot of them have food. I was going to say food. Yeah, better be food. food. Gotta have food. <laughs> yeah. And a DJ. I'm sure you got music going on and yeah, all that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. What's really great about these sorts of events is if you're a listener and you, this, I'm just going to speak specifically to like, if you have a family member or a close friend who you know is struggling with recovery and you would like to support them and not really sure what to do and you don't really know people in the recovery world, you should go to one of these events because by, by pausing and stopping at booths and talking to people, you're going to get more information, make more connections, um, and you'll leave and you'll go home feeling empowered 
to know how to help your friends and family. So I think specifically for support people who want to support others in their life, this is a great event. These events are really great to attend. And I would suggest go there and have your eyes opened. Because your eyes will really be opened if you go there and walk around because you're going to see people from all walks of life that have all battled addiction, who have all come out on the other side, who are all doing better. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, in addiction, uh, it, you start to think that this is just my family. Uh, you know, or that's just their family or it's just that one person. We have, we have, um, biased ideas about what addiction is and who becomes addicted. And uh, man, I mean, if anybody's listened to this show, we know that that addiction respects no area of life. Everybody is, is going to have somebody in their life. Rich, poor, yep. uh, doctors, lawyers, you name it. They've been a mother's, sons, daughters, Absolutely. fathers. They've all been here. That's what I'm saying. It would really open your eyes to walk into this event and go, Wow, there's people just like me here. Yes, yeah, and 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 celebrating their recovery. They're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed, and and they're having a great time. I think that's what's really cool about uh, these sorts of events is we now live in a day and age. And you and I, we did not grow up. No, when you could like openly talk about it, and right. shame was the way people felt about their addiction. And now we've, we're getting rid of that and just connecting with other people. And so the information and the connections, well worth your time to go to these things. So I guess to, to put a fine point on the end of this podcast, for those who reach out to me, I'm going to continue to answer your texts and your emails and whatever I can do to help. But if you know somebody who's struggling and contemplating recovery and trying to figure out what their next step is, I think your website is probably a great place to start. Absolutely. And so that is? It's myusara.com, M-Y-U-S-A-R-A.com. And you've got uh, St. George. Uh-huh. Provo. Uh, St. George, Salt Lake, Ogden, Price, and Moab coming soon. Yeah. So, But, yeah. you know, if you think about it, you and I, we we do know a lot of places we can refer people to. Sure. And that's yep. the truth. But we're not professionals at at that game of, of understanding people, talking to them. And, well, I guess a psychologist should be able to do that. But uh, you know what I mean? In this context. <laughs> I was like, I'm just, just going to let him go with this one. Let's yeah. see where it ends. So this I'm a, could be good. I'm going to be a carpenter now, I guess. But um, Jesus no, but, was but, a carpenter. Yeah, he did pretty well. Um, but, uh, you know, what I'm saying is these guys are the pros. They're the ones that when you call and talk to them, they know it all. And so I would highly encourage people to check out their website and make a phone call. And with people who are concerned about COVID, um, you can do a call. I we assume provide, you don't have to yeah, come in. Virtual services so we can meet over Zoom or uh, FaceTime. And yeah, I, I want to get back to just one point that we covered in the earlier segment, which yes. is that I, I truly believe that everyone can recover from addiction. I truly do if they have the appropriate supports. And some people definitely have a harder time than others, but I really, truly believe that there is. Uh, I love that optimism. I, yeah. I agree with that. A hundred percent. Thank you for stopping by, Evan. Yeah. And thank you guys for uh, stopping by again to listen to another episode of Project Recovery. Don't forget, it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast.
The contents of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.